You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Today, the husband and wife team of Tim Phillips and Jan Creamer are with us. Jan and Tim are the co-founders of Animal Defenders International, ADI. They are going to tell us a bit about ADI and discuss with us their latest documentary, or perhaps to be more accurate, their latest action-mentary, Lion Ark, the story of how their leadership of ADI saved 25 lions. But first, let's hear from those great folks who make Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates possible. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Your dog digs a hole under your fence, and the next thing you know... Protect your pets with Dig Defense, the amazing new product that keeps your pets in the yard. Dig Defense is safe, fast, and easy. Each unit is made from 4-gauge galvanized American steel and can be used for repairing digouts, filling gaps, or to hold fences down so pets can't get under them. Dig Defense provides peace of mind that your pets are contained humanely and safely. Visit digdefense.com today. D-I-G-D-E-F-E-N-C-E.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, and welcome to Jan Creamer and Tim Phillips, who are two of Max A. Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. Thank you for joining us today, Jan and Tim. It's a real pleasure. Good morning, Keith. It's a real pleasure to be speaking with you today, and thank you for so much for inviting us. Well, we're really glad to have you, and we want to learn about Lion Ark, but for starters, can you provide us a bit of background information about ADI and what your mission is? Absolutely. Animal Defenders International, ADI, we founded in 1990, and uh, we started the organization because we wanted to be able to talk to people and help people to advocate for animals on a whole range of issues. And so it was important to have a group where people could work on wildlife issues, on captive animals issues, anything really to do with animals and and the way that human beings treat them. And really uh, our most important campaign at the moment is the use of animals in entertainment and animal circuses but also animals used in movies and really that's what um, Lion Ark um, is about is to through an action adventure for something enjoyable for people to understand what really goes on behind the scenes when animals are used for entertainment. 
Yeah, I think so many times, in fact, most of the time, the public sits there and sees the tigers or lions or elephants at a circus and imagine they have a pretty good life traveling around the country. But before we get into this, I'm interested in you two. When did you first meet? Well, Keith, we were both campaigning in the the 1980s, and uh, we actually met through our work. I was chief executive of the National Anti-Vivisection Society of the UK, which is the world's first group campaigning on animal experiments and uh, trying to get them replaced with other methods. And uh, uh, Tim was working for another group, and uh, we kind of were on the speaking circuit. We met each other from time to time on the speaking circuit at public meetings and political meetings and things like this, uh, presentations to uh, local governments and uh, and even national governments. And uh, that's kind of where we met and saw each other. And uh, really the what got us together was that uh, I had I was living in uh, in Oxford in England and um, I'd moved into a house where there were a group of uh, feral cats, wild cats, uh, living uh, in between the houses, living in the gardens, and one of them had um, had kittens. And so I wanted to trap her and uh, get her neutered and try and get the kittens rehomed. And uh, Tim had a a trap, so um, I asked to borrow his trap, and that was kind of where it started. So he trapped you, you might say. That's right. All all young men listening, the secret to finding true love is to be aware of feral animals and have your own cat trap. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many reasons to care about animals. We both found we very much have the sort of same vision for animal protection campaigning, which is the kind of vision of ADI now, obviously, and that is very kind of practical, ground-up, campaigning. We believe very much in education and getting evidence and scientific evidence. And we're one of the few groups, possibly the only one that that does this purely in the world, that we start a project at ground level. We will put people in places undercover for even years before we do anything on that subject. So we gather a lot of data, information, evidence, video of animals being abused, Then we launch it to the public and we create a a swell of of public concern. Then we take it to Parliament, we draft legislation and that kind of thing. We aim to secure legislation and then if there's animals to be saved, we do rescue operations as we see in Lion Ark. And we see it as very holistic campaigning that every single step leads to the next one. And it's for us as ADI proving incredibly successful. We are securing laws all over the world at the moment. We're stopping this abuse of animals and, and we're opening people's eyes to it. I understand through your work and investigations that Bolivia was the first country in South America to ban all animals and traveling circuses? That's correct. And that this is the story of lion art very much. But what we've done, Jan and I have been working in South America and we'd um, rescued a chimpanzee from a, a circus down there and we'd We tested getting legislation through in in Chile. This was about 2002, and we were very nearly successful in getting a ban on animal circuses in Chile. So what we did was we went back to the drawing board and we said, okay, we're going to put a team undercover inside the South American animal circus industry for about two years. No one's ever been down there and got all of this evidence. So we put a team down there and they just 
stayed there embedded, gathering evidence. And the footage we were getting was absolutely horrific. You know, chimpanzees being punched, beaten with chains, animals being beaten, animals living in the worst conditions you, you've seen in your life. And we gathered this evidence steadily. Then once we'd got this data, we, we launched simultaneously in, well, it was sort of weak intervals in Bolivia, Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, and subsequently Brazil. And the momentum from that has been huge. Since, since we launched that, we've secured bans on animal circuses. And we're talking South America alone. We're working elsewhere, too. In Bolivia was the first. Ecuador followed, Peru followed, Paraguay followed, and last week, Colombia banned wild animals in circuses. So that evidence-led campaigning and giving people the facts, giving the Congresses the facts, has, has paid dividends. The, the suffering of those animals is going to be stopped. You're a combination, it sounds like, of the CIA, of uh, legislative lobbying, uh, big publicity, and then crusaders coming in and rescuing the animals. It's uh, really quite remarkable, everything you're doing. Well, thank you, Keith. I think that it comes from the conviction that uh, both Tim and I have is that when you're campaigning for animals, um, you try everything. If you're trying to protect animals, then we do whatever it takes. Well, we try everything. And so over the years, it's become not just the investigations, but also um, the lobbying and uh, also the, the publicity work and the education work. And as Tim was saying, you know, we have always found that the public responds really strongly and um, the response of the public in South America has uh, been amazing. And uh, when we started there, we wondered if it was going to be quite tough for us. But we've actually found the people in South America, you know, when they think something is wrong, they want to do something about it and they want to get it done straight away. They're very much can-do people and uh, they want to see change. Pretty amazing, really. It really is. And your techniques actually include having people going undercover and working in, in the places that you're investigating. Can that be dangerous? It certainly can, uh, Keith, and it, it depends where you are. I think that root of our organization very much stems from Tim and my background. We've always believed in investigations. We've both been in slaughterhouses, animal laboratories, circuses, all kinds of places over the years. And um, we do believe very much that what's important is to show the public the reality. You've got to get behind the scenes and show the truth. And certainly sometimes in places like South America, it can be dangerous. I mean, we did have one of the largest circuses uh, when we were debating um, and giving testimony for a local city ban in uh, Colombia. We did have the, uh, the circus workers um, pointing to our, our team, you know, drawing their finger across their neck and kind of threatening them and uh, saying that they were going to get their throats cut. But, you know, we take the view that you have to, these people are fundamentally cowards. They beat animals. We have to stand up against them. And you, you do find, you know, when you stand up to them, they crumble. Yeah, it, it, I think um, part of the ethos of Animal Defenders International is that we're a pretty tight team. We've got offices in Los Angeles, London, and Bogota, Colombia, and representatives in several countries. But overall, we're a team of about 30 people, that, including field officers who are undercover. 
Now, for an organisation of our kind of reach and lobbying that number of governments, that's a very, very small team indeed. We work on the basis that we're very, very dedicated. We have very, very dedicated work, people that work at ADI and that they know that, they'll, that we will have their back. Our field officers who go undercover know that both Chan and I have been undercover, that we've, we've worked under, inside these places ourselves. We know what it means to be there isolated and all of those things. And this type of work, it does take a lot of cost, it takes a lot of guts, but it's what delivers the evidence. Well, and you I know, it, it, watching the film, was I could see that. I mean, you guys were right there on the scene in the rain and the hot, humid weather and the really in the conditions far away from uh, large urban communities. It's an amazing story. We need to break so you can hear from the folks who help bring Max A. Pooch's awesome animal advocates to you. And please make sure you stay with us because when we return, Jan Creamer and Tim Phillips will share with us some of the obstacles they had to overcome in order to pull off this amazing rescue. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Dog Shelter Blues, the new novel by Mark Conkling. This hard-hitting story lights up the world of animal rescue with engaging characters and their pets. Struggling with their own internal demons as they attempt to rescue innocent creatures that sometimes bring a mysterious transforming power to broken lives. Read the first chapter of Dog Shelter Blues free at dogshelterblues.com. Then come along a breathtaking journey that ends with an astonishing triumph of good over evil. Order your copy of Dog Shelter Blues today. Available at amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Are you crazy about cats? If so, check out The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition. This clever how-to manual for cats, written by a cat named Quasi, contains more laughs than should be allowable in one book, and is poignantly underscored by the combative yet loving relationship between Quasi and his human. The World is Your Litter Box, Deluxe Edition, is guaranteed to have you laughing your tail off. So, treat yourself to a copy today. Available from Amazon. Jungle Deep. Deep, 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 deep. When I talk about exotic animals, I am not talking about goats and salamanders. No. This is Dr. Jones of the Jungle Deep Podcast. On my show, we explore the jungle, searching for the most exotic, most endangered animals on Earth. If you love nature and are creatures like I do, listen to Jungle Deep. Jungle Deep, 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 Deep. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, I'm Keith Sanderson, your host, welcoming you back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates and our guests, Jan Creamer and Tim Phillips, who are two of Max A. Pooch's favorite awesome animal advocates. Jan and Tim, this was not merely going to be one destination that you were rescuing animals from, but you had to not only gather them in one place, but then you had to ship them back to the States. Can you share with us the gripping details of some of the challenges you faced? 
Oh, absolutely, Keith. In terms of logistics, it was going to be a very difficult uh, operation. We um, didn't realize at the very beginning when the Bolivian government uh, first agreed with us that we could come and take the animals quite how big Bolivia was. And it's the size of uh, Texas and California together. Really? Uh, yeah, really big, but uh, with only 9 million people and no roads. And you hear several times our uh, Colombian team and Bolivian team saying, you know, there aren't any roads. You go places by plane and by boat, and, and most of the country is rainforest and mountains. And um, really, it was uh, the important thing was that we located the circuses. We sent our investigators out to track the circuses and make sure we always knew where, where they were. And then we had to coordinate with the local police and the national wildlife officials to get to the circuses at the right time before they had a chance to move on and uh, issue their seizure notices. And uh, there are all kinds of background problems, like uh, Bolivia is a poor country, the wildlife officials didn't have the money to travel, so we had to raise the money in the U.S. here to pay for their flights and, and get them to the places we needed them to be. And one of the key things, uh, as we say, is that, you know, you, the circuses, the Bolivian government gave the circuses a grace period of one year um, when they brought the law in to give up their animals. And one circus gave up their animals to us voluntarily, but the others defied the law. So we knew we were going to have something of a battle on our hands. And there were some circuses who were clearly making their way to the border and were going to try and skip the country before we could get there. So it really was a race all over the country. Yeah, I mean, this was these circuses had simply defied the law, and they, they were figuring that the Bolivian government will not be able to enforce this ban. Bolivia had banned all animal circuses after our campaign, but the circuses just thought, that's business as usual. So they were spread all over the country. We arrived, and we knew they weren't going to give up easily. We were going to have to track them down in remote places. We knew there'd be confrontations, and that's what we set about doing. In the first seven days, we raided day after day, seven different circuses, and we rescued every single animal, hit them so hard and fast that they didn't have time to get away, they didn't have time to, to do anything. And within seven days, we had our first 17 lions. Well, now, what did you do with the uh, other animals that you rescued, aside from the lions? Say, I'm sure they had some indigenous animals from South America in the circus. Were they turned over to local uh, wildlife refuges or set loose or what? Exactly, Keith, uh, both of those. The Bolivian government's policy was that um, they wanted the indigenous wildlife to stay in Bolivia and, if possible, to be released, released into safe areas. And obviously, with the domesticated animals, there are lots of animal groups around Bolivia who can look after, you know, horses and dogs and so forth. The dogs that were considered to be just personal pets of the circuses, obviously, you know, they are allowed to keep those if it's a personal pet and not a performing animal. You know, we came across one circus that uh, we actually didn't know existed. They had kept moving and they managed to avoid our census. One of the things that we'd done was conducted a census of all the animals so that we knew what species and how many and what we had to do with them. There was a lot of planning involved for the logistics to know which animals would go where and when they would be collected. But one circus had escaped and we found them by chance when we were seizing a lioness from one circus. We then heard there was another circus in the town. 
and we knew there were some missing monkeys and we went there and we found um a whole group of monkeys they were and they were released into um a city uh, wildlife area where it's a protected area it's a botanical gardens and uh, you know lots of rescued animals are just released into the trees so that was a, a really wonderful day it, it sounds and now there was also a lion uh, one more lion i think that you didn't expect that you uh, ended up rescuing and uh, he had been by himself i believe for a long time without any uh, other lions around him there was a, a lion called kimber and he was the last lion that we rescued in bolivia lion number 25 and he'd been dumped at a, a little remote zoo on the argentine border 10 years earlier he'd been all alone he was in this cage tiny little cage there he'd actually been bricked into it and it was so remote this place we've got a, a c-130 hercules from the old vietnam war that we we rented off the bolivian air force and we flew down there and we had to literally smash down the walls and hack him out with through the bars to get this old lion out and he was 15 by then in fact i saw kimber at the weekend and he's doing fine and he, he'd gone half blind in here and we, we lured him out into his cage, and then we took him up to the holding center where we were holding all of these other lions, getting them ready to fly them to the U.S. And he hadn't heard another voice, and one of the, the most moving things in the operation was he roared out that night, and suddenly all these other lion voices bellowed back, this great big chorus, and you could see in his face, I found my own kind again. And that was incredibly moving, and he was, as you say, Kimber, the last lion we saved from Bolivia. That really has to be uh, an incredible feeling when something like that happens, and it's the payoff for all the hard work you've done. Shivers must have gone down your spines. Well, yeah, Keith, I can say there were a lot of tears that night uh, listening to Kimber. We can't imagine, can we, how, how that must feel to spend a decade with no one who speaks your language and no contact with your own kind. I mean, that's the worst kind of isolation. And we all think, you know, for any of us, that would break us. But um, his face and his expression, um, were, there were tears that night, weren't there, Tim? No, there were. I think that, that the film we're making, when we went out to Bolivia, we thought, this is almost the perfect story. We didn't know if it would come off such a complex operation, but no one had ever attempted to sort of clear an entire animal abuse industry in this way, to just, in a matter of weeks, shut down the lot, save every animal. And it's a very joyous film because you see these monkeys going free. And one of the key things is you see these lions that have been kept in tiny, tiny cages. I mean, there was a family of eight lions living in a cage no bigger than two double beds side by side. They were starving, they were living on top of each other, they were fighting for food. Now I was with those same lions at the weekend and they're living in 25 acres now and they're running and they're a family and they're a pride and they interact as lions should do. They run and stalk through the long grass, they look after each other. And one of the key things you see through this whole film is is how these animals blossom once they're taken out of these terrible conditions and they become lions again. And it, and it really is a, a quite beautiful and moving thing. 
it really is. And when I watched the film, it just was incredible. You could just see on their faces. Talking about the film, one thing I noticed about it is technically uh, it was like crystal clear. It was is crisp. You guys must have really been using some of the latest state of the art equipment on that. It was a, a gamble at the beginning. It was quite a decision to make. As I say, I was thinking, this hasn't been done before. If it comes off, and that was a big if, we're going to have an incredible document here. We should just make sure it's recorded for posterity. It's such a potentially inspiring story. So in, initially, I said to someone we were working with, OK, we'll have a, at least one dedicated cameraman, maybe two. And then the more we talked about how incredible this could be. We said, okay, let's take a red cameraman. So we, we shot this on cinema quality footage. And we also took multiple microphones and things. Now, we didn't have a great big film crew. We just had two cameramen and then we carried microphones and things on us. So we were very stripped down because, you know, we were going into violent circuses that were threatening us, saying they were going to kill us if we turned up and this kind of thing. So it was very stripped down. But we got this amazing quality footage. And I don't know how you felt about it. I think even some of the really tragic scenes have a certain beauty where you see these animals shining through these most awful conditions and they're grubby and they're dirty, but you can still see the light in their eyes because of the way it's been filmed. So it really paid off and we just recorded everything. And something it's worth saying is, this film is made pretty much completely as live action. It just unfolds. It's, it's kind of made like an action adventure. It's not Jan and I sort of reminiscing about here's what we did in Bolivia. It's how we felt there and then. When Jan's talking about the suffering of these animals, they're right there in front of her. And I think that gives the film a real immediacy and something very dramatic for people. They can really feel the story of these animals. How big a crew did you have then, including camera and rescue, and, and how many were native of Bolivia and from the international sources? Well, Keith, we had about 15 people altogether, mostly uh, Bolivians, but we had uh, Colombians, Peruvians, drawn from several countries, Peru, Colombia, Bolivia. Um, we've got people in Brazil, and um, very much they came together. I mean, in terms of people from the West, we had Tim and I, and we had the two cameramen. And, uh, of course, the vet, uh, Mel Richardson, is our, our wildlife vet. Uh, he's from the U.S. But one of the things that uh, struck us when we were talking to our, um, our two cameramen and they were bringing very, very expensive equipment, <laughs> their own expensive equipment with them. And uh, one of the things that we were very conscious of was that they didn't quite know what we were bringing them into. And um, Tim and I are kind of quite used to these fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants operations where you can do quite a lot of planning but there on the ground you have to make do with what you've got and that's why you see us building things ourselves and Tim's doing lots of woodwork and drilling and getting the cages made and things like that but you very much have to fly by your seat of your pants and when you get into a confrontation you have to know you've got cameramen who can feel calm in that situation and obviously watch their camera but make sure that they're getting the action. But it's a good team and, you know, as I said before, you know, that we just so admire our South American colleagues. You know, they are so determined and so courageous in what they do. I think um, 
the people of Bolivia really got behind this. And, it, and it's something we, I feel, convey in the, in the film when that old lion, Kimball, when we saved him in Tarika, people came out of, onto the streets and they were shouting and cheering and clapping as he drove off to the airport to go to his new life. And I think that's really special. I think sometimes animal issues, especially hard-hitting ones like ours, can be sort of a bit of a blunt instrument. Here's this terrible suffering. And, and what we've found is that if you give people the facts, if you explain to them, show them what's happening to these animals, they will get behind us. I think you're right. I mean, the thing that excited me about this film and about what you guys are doing is that so often, you know, it's just help this, help this, help me, help whatever, and not solutions. But you guys are out there, you know, shirt sleeves in the jungle. You recognize a problem, and then you help legislate a solution, and then you you don't give up then. Then you go and do it. And I think the end is so exciting. It's a happy ending, but I don't want to tell everyone. But one question about when you guys came back, Bob Barker, the television personality, was among those waiting for you. What role did he play? Well, Bob Barker funded this rescue operation. It's, it's as simple as that. And one day we were, we were working away and there was a phone call and it was Bob Barker. And we'd come to his attention and he'd heard we were doing good work and it was exciting work. And he said, I want to give you a donation to fund this. And an operation on this scale is very expensive. We work with, with low overheads, but to clear every single animal from a country it is a big operation. It's a, it's a sort of $2 million operation when you consider building the homes for the animals, the facilities that we had to build in California and Colorado, and actually we had to build primate facilities in the UK too. That's about three-quarters of a million dollars, just building the homes for life for these lions and other animals. So Bob Barker put that money up, and he made this happen. And we were able to really go for this and save every animal. Well, that's great, because, uh, again, I think it shows that people who are really dedicated put their money where their mouth is, quite frankly, because he certainly didn't have to do that. I mean, he's had a great career, and he could just sit back and relax, and there he is helping you guys. That's amazing. About the film, is it released yet, or how can our listeners view it? Well, we're going into the festivals now, so we've just finished, and we're entering the film into the... Um the film festivals all over the U.S. and Canada and around the world. And uh, we're hoping to get distribution. And uh, we've got um, a, a Facebook page, Lion Ark the Movie. And people can certainly follow us on our Lion Ark the Movie Facebook page. And we're keeping everyone updated. And each time we get into a film festival is what we're hoping is that people will come see us and come ask us questions and see the movie and uh, find out, you know, how we did what we did and how we want to go on and do more because we've got Colombia and Peru now to empty of their circus animals. Yes, people go on Facebook and type in Lion Ark the movie, then they'll find our Facebook page. If they go to lionarkthemovie.com, they'll find the website. We hope to be launching in about at late August, early September, if we're accepted into all of the film festivals that we hope. I won't jinx it by saying which, but those will be announced through the Facebook. 
it's really important for us to build a bit of a buzz. I mean, we really appreciate you having us on to talk about this film. It's an independent film at this stage, so we have to get the word out. We need your listeners to follow us on Facebook to show that, yes, we want to see films like this. We want to see exciting, dynamic films which have important issues in them. So do please spread the word about this film. I will, I will. It's certainly worth letting people know about. And briefly, what about the future plans of ADI? Are you, you said you're going back to South America? Um, absolutely. The uh, Peruvian governments have spoken with the officials in Bolivia and uh, they want us to, to do the same thing, basically help them. We've got campaigns all over the U.S. on local ordinances to end the use of animals in circuses, and we've got national legislation on the table in the U.K. But certainly this next year or two is going to be very exciting because, again, we didn't realize Colombia and Peru are actually much bigger <laughs> than, mm -hmm. we, than we expected. But, uh, you know, these countries can do really good things for animals, but what they need is help. And that's, uh, you know, experience, like the experience that we can offer them. They need help with moving the animals, deciding where the animals go. And, uh, you know, they will pass bans on animal circuses if we help them. And uh, there's a lot that people in the U.S. can do to encourage that. And I think that every time in the U.S. someone works with us, to get a local ordinance to ban wild animals in circuses, they're starting to be a part of this worldwide movement. This is hundreds of towns, cities, counties all over the world now have banned wild animals in circuses. Over 21 countries have national bans, and the UK is discussing its national ban now. And in the US, we're hoping to reintroduce our Traveling Wild Animal Protection Act in Congress later this year. But this is a groundswell movement of the people. The people locally are working to end wild animals in circuses and then that builds up to national efforts. It's all nuts and bolts work as well. You know, getting the legislation sounds big and dramatic and almost glamorous. <laughs> it isn't glamorous, but it's also keeping our field officers out there and undercover. And we also have to look after all of the animals that we've rescued during these things. Now, some people think, why would you go to Bolivia and move all of these lions up to the USA? And the simple fact is, you have to address two things with many of these animals. The welfare concerns, what's the best possible place to take these animals to? What, who can really look after them? But there's also the safety issues. You cannot mess with these animals. When we were working in Bolivia rescuing these animals, I was moving a lioness and the whole back of the cage just fell off in my hands. It was so rusty and we had to frantically get it wired on again. So they are really, really dangerous. And for international animal protection groups like Animal Defense International, you have to make sure they're where some, somewhere safe. So we have to get down to Peru, Colombia, assess what animals they have and assess where they can go, where we can absolutely guarantee that in four or five years' time, a child isn't going to get their hand bitten off because the place isn't safe enough. So that's one of the keys. We have 29 lions that we saved from Bolivia in our care. So if people want to adopt those and help us look after them, they can go to our website, www.ad-international.org. They'll find out the lion stories. They'll help us feed them, help us save more. 
That's great. Have one last question to ask Jan and or Tim. That is how, with all the human misery in the world, can you justify spending time, money, resources, advocating and rescuing, and then taking care of wild animals? Well, Keith, it's important for people to reassess our relationship with the other species that uh, share our planet. This is their home too. And uh, we get asked this question often, you know, why animals? And the point is that if we protect the most vulnerable, whether it's people or animals, we do all gain. We gain as a human society. We are still evolving as human beings. And the next step in our evolution is resolving how we relate to the shared planet. It's home to all of us. And we're all meant to be here. And it's important for us to really interact properly with the other species who share our planet. I mean, we find out daily how intelligent they are, how they share emotions as we do. They feel fear and they suffer as we do. And it's a very important step for people to understand that we gain personally each time we protect something that is weak and vulnerable. It's absolutely the key to it is it isn't a choice of one or the other. If we have a more compassionate society, if we protect the elderly, if we protect children, if we protect animals, if we say there should not be suffering in our society, then we absolutely all gain. A few people who wish to exploit may feel they're losing something, but all of us are better protected in that society. This is about a better world. Those are great answers. I mean, well thought out, and I'm I'm sure you've been asked a lot of times because, let's face it, you're going to a poor country like Bolivia, and uh, money could be spent for other things. And so thank you so much. I mean, you guys are the greatest. I want to thank Jan and Tim for being with us today, and I hope you can come back and update us at some time. We would love to. As soon as we have details for when the the film is, is going to be launched, it would be absolutely great to have you on. And perhaps if you're nearby, you can come along to the premiere. Oh, that'd be great. Certainly would. And Max A. Pooch would be jealous because, unfortunately, humans don't let dogs in a lot of places humans do, which in itself may be unfair. So, again, we want to thank you guys, Jan Creamer and Tim Phillips, for being with us today. And we want to thank our listeners for spending their valuable time with us. You're all fantastic. We hope you tell your friends about us. And, of course, big thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates Possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.